much more directly. So I think that's probably the reason why, and it's probably not too bad. In terms of scope, it's large. But, uh, yeah, I think the market was disappointed not to see um, a rate cut, but I think the reflection there is rates uh, can only go so low to have any impact on, uh, on, on demand. Toby, thanks very much. Have a great weekend. That's Toby Lawson, Head of Global Markets at Societe Generale Australia. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. In Australia, stocks there are extending their declines. The ASX 200 is down over 7% now. The Nikkei 225 in Japan is down about 6.25%. Looks like the Hang Seng is going to open up close to 7% lower. That will wipe off about 1,600 points from the Hang Seng, taking it down to about 22,600 at the open. In, uh, also, the Cosby in South Korea, not surprisingly, that's off about 6.6%. In the commodities markets, uh, Brent crude oil right now is trading low. It's at $33 now, 98 cents a barrel. Gold is moving a bit higher. It's at $1,580 an ounce. And in the currency markets, uh, the Japanese yen, that's trading at 105.2 against the US dollar. That's it from me this week. Do have a great weekend. Stay tuned for Back Chats with Hugh Chiverton and Danny Gittings. After the 8.30 news, let me give you an update on the weather forecast. It's going to be mainly cloudy with fog, one or two rain patches in the morning and at night, and then sunny intervals during the day. The maximum temperature is going to be about 25 degrees. Uh, but fortunately, it will improve tomorrow. Fine and dry with slightly cooler mornings in the following couple of days. And it's 20 degrees right now, 95% relative humidity. 8.31, here's Samantha Butler with the half-hour news. It's no longer possible to eliminate the coronavirus and it's here for the long haul. Malik Peris, the chair in virology at the University of Hong Kong, was speaking a day after the World Health Organization declared the global outbreak a pandemic. Professor Peris said people needed to keep their guard up and that international travel was a risk. He said viruses don't carry passports and they cross borders. If you are ill, even if you feel you have a mild cold, stay at home. So that is one important change. International travel, it is not sensible because, as we can see, Hong Kong had imported cases from India, from Egypt. Neither of those places have large numbers of reported cases. But clearly, it looks that travel anywhere is now potentially a risk. So I think these changes and also avoiding large gatherings as far as one can, crowded places. So these changes should be long-term. The British Prime Minister Boris Johnson says measures to tackle the coronavirus will cause disruption for many months. Striking a sober note at a news conference in Downing Street, Mr Johnson had a warning for the British public. This is the worst public health crisis for a generation and it's going to spread further and I, I must level with you level with the, the British public, more families, uh, many more families, are going to lose loved ones before their time. The Chief Scientific Advisor, Sir Patrick Valance, acknowledged Britain might have at least 10 times more coronavirus infections than the nearly 600 officially recorded. The European Union says it'll offer more than $2,000 each to migrants to return to their home countries from the Greek islands. The EU Home Affairs Commissioner Ilva Johansson said 5,000 asylum seekers would be eligible. For a period of one month, we will open the opportunity for migrants at the Greek islands in the overcrowded camps to sign up for voluntary returns and give 
uh, additional money on 2,000 euro to help to reintegrate in their country of origin. The scheme is just for migrants who arrived before the start of this year. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Bank Chat. I'm Hugh Chiverton, your co-host today. Danny Gittings. Danny, good morning to you. Good morning. Well, after President Trump's bombshell speech yesterday and its fallout, we're talking today in the programme about travel, trade and what lasting impact COVID-19 might bring to the world. How will the global movement of passengers and goods be affected by the travel bans? Are China and the United States strengthened or weakened by what's happening? Will there be a reset in globalisation or will certain things simply return to the way they were before? As many places in the world are sharing the same disease, are we coming together or pulling apart? Let us know your thoughts. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat and RTHK Radio 3. You can email us, backchat at rthk.hk, or you can give us a call, and our telephone number is 233-88266. That's 233-88266. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, for the first part of the programme, we're joined now by Tony Tyler, former Chief Executive of Cathay Pacific and also former CEO of uh, IATA. Uh, Mr Tyler, still on the the board of airlines and also tim huxley chief executive of mandarin shipping limited uh, chandra now will be joining us from the global institute for tomorrow after the the, the news at nine as i said we're going to focus on air and uh, shipping for the first part uh, some uh, emails first of all related to uh, other issues and uh, yesterday's discussion uh, richard b sent in an email i think this was like during the program yesterday uh, just before the end when we were just having a sort of initial reaction to what uh, Donald Trump was announcing. Uh, Richard B said, USA to UK flights probably still open as Heathrow is a hub airport for United and American Airlines, plus BA and Virgin, USA keeping a door open for American citizens to get back to USA. Well, there's been some clarification, of course, uh, from from, uh, Trump uh, since then, although slightly confusing messages also from from the uh, vice president about uh, how American citizens if they test positive, whether they will be allowed to get back. Um, yeah, so, but thanks, thanks for that comment. Um, and uh, Mr Tang says, on the suspension of the NBA season, of course, which also happened, and financial loss, um, with Utah Jazz basketball player Rudy Gobert testing positive for COVID-19, the NBA has suspended the regular season indefinitely. Fans around the globe are left disappointed by the abrupt halt to games, but the decision to suspend all matches is a prudent one, given that players travel from city to city by air frequently. Handshakes, hugs and huddles between players are high-risk moves. They come into close contact with teammates, coaching staff, fans and opponents regularly and NBA teams play every two nights on average, so the risk of transmission of the virus stands high. Just two days ago, the infected player was seen touching all the microphones of the journalist at a press conference on purpose as he was joking about the virus situation. NBA is a billion dollar business and now it will suffer great financial losses due to the suspension of games. However, Mark Cuban, owner of the Dallas Mavericks, says it best. This is bigger than basketball. Health should be everyone's priority now. Look after your loved ones and make sure they are doing fine. That's for Mr Tang. Thanks very much indeed. And uh, John Kowloon says, uh, I read the, the Jockey Club 
clubhouse in Happy Valley was reopened yesterday. You may recall that two of the club's members were diagnosed with the virus in late February. Uh, yesterday's reopening marked 18 days since the infected members last frequented the clubhouse, indicating the club had satisfactorily met the recommended 14-day period of isolation. However, a number of recent reports of cows cast doubt over whether 14 days is too short. I've attached one article, that's from Bloomberg, uh, which reports that patients with the virus retain the pathogen in their lungs for as long as 37 days. This might suggest that people could still be contagious for an extended period after their symptoms have disappeared, thereby spreading the virus even after they have emerged from quarantine. Perhaps some of your recent expert guests could share their thoughts on this, specifically whether Hong Kong needs to extend the suggested incubation period. That's from John Kowloon. Thank you very much indeed. We don't have those that kind of expert... Um, uh, on this morning we will next week and we will put the question to them then john thanks for your message okay we're joined for the first half of the show by uh, tony tyler tony tyler is former chief executive of cafe pacific and former ceo of iata and also by uh, tim huxley T tim huxley is chief executive of mandarin shipping limited good morning thank you for joining us uh, let's go to Tony, Tony Tyler. Let's go to you first. Uh, this is uh, uh, you, you were on Cafe during SARS, weren't you? This is, this is by, uh, most people by, saying, by comparison with SARS, this is far, far worse for the, the global aviation industry. Is that right? Yeah, that's absolutely right. I mean, the, the impact of this is, is much worse than SARS. SARS, SARS was, um, the, the impact of SARS was focused very much on Hong Kong. Um, there was obviously uh, mainland China also was affected, and, and, and Toronto also, as it happens, was a cluster there. But, but clearly, this COVID nineteen is is global, and it's also probably gone on as long as already as long as SARS probably impacted um, Cathay Pacific at that time. And airlines are going to go. Let's be frank about this. Airlines are going to go bust. I mean, one already has gone bust in the UK, and um, it's presumably only a matter of time before others go under. Yes, Flybe's already gone. Um, that, I mean, it, it was probably going to go bust anyway, to be honest, but this has accelerated it. But yes, now I think you've got you know, much more substantial airlines certainly at risk of, uh, of failure. And, and what's going to happen to international aviation? I mean, we're still working through or waiting to see the full implications of um, uh, Trump's announcement about um, the, the ban on um, people from the Schengen, um, Schengen countries entering the, the US. But um, presumably a large portion of air traffic between Europe and the US is, is just going to grind to a halt over the next few days. Yes, it will. Um, the, the Atlantic business for the carriers serving that market is is usually a very high percentage of their of their traffic. I, I was looking at some of the numbers and doing a little bit of research yesterday, and, and it, it looks. I mean, for airlines like United and American, you're talking about some, in the region of 40% of their international traffic is across the Atlantic. With Delta, it looks a bit, even a bit higher. Um, and, and for the US, for, the, for the European carriers, again, a huge percentage of their of their international business. But, but more important than that, it, it's also the very very profitable segment of their international business. And the North Atlantic is, is a very profitable um, area in which to fly. And the Europe to, uh, to North America is where a lot of these airlines make a lot of their money. So having um, the, the, the market, on, if you like, on one side of it just turned off just like that uh, is going to have a very big impact even on these very successful and hitherto very profitable airlines. And for our listeners here, of course, the first thought on our mind is, is this going to lead to cheaper flight tickets? But that's not necessarily the case, is it, right? When you're having such huge cuts in capacity. In fact, we're hearing stories about scalpers' prices on some of the remaining um, flights that are available. Well, I wouldn't, I, wouldn't, sorry, I wouldn't call them 
I was going to. <laughs> well, you're the aviation but, but, industry, aren't you? But, yeah. I, mean, but, was... I mean, to some extent, I mean, I, and I don't know what, different airlines will take different different approaches to this, but there is a there is an approach which says, look, anyone who's traveling now is only traveling because they have to. Um, so why why discount deeply when you know that d- deep discounting is not going to stimulate traffic in current circumstances? So, you know, the, the, the economically rational thing to do is to, is to hold your prices. I, I really don't think anyone's putting price. It would be a very brave airline that tried to put prices you, on. You're in the aviation business. You know yourself it's not a point of putting up prices. Airfares are priced in different price brackets. All you have to do is take away the cheaper price brackets and um, what the cheap, call the cheaper booking classes. Yeah. And the, the end result is that anyone who wants to buy tickets pay much more than they normally would. You're absolutely right. But what, what airlines will be doing is we're reacting to demand and demand has collapsed. And uh, if, if, you, uh, if demand collapses, then generally speaking, you know, it's, it, your LMP airlines will, will have to respond. And uh, I, I don't think anybody should be, um, should be expecting to, to get much cheaper fares in the short run. Um, but, but on the other hand, uh, who knows what's going to happen in the medium and longer term. And I think that's, that's really the, the issue for the industry and in the short term. You know, you, 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 you cut down your capacity, you ground your aircraft, you try and save, save cash wherever you can. But the, but the important issue is where does this leave us in a few months' time, in, in a year's time? And I think that's the question that nobody knows the answer to. You, you don't know the answer? You're, you're not even going to guess? You... Uh, I don't know. I mean, there's, there's, clearly there's different scenarios. Um, what we saw in SARS was a, a pretty quick bounce back. I mean, it was, it, the impact was was very much V-shaped, and really within a few months we were back to where we would have been if it had never happened. Um, I don't know. I don't think that's going to happen, certainly in the space of a few months in in these circumstances. Um, And the question then is, you know, will there be, if you like, a sort of rebasing of the entire industry where, where, you know, we're going to be starting again from a much lower base, and... And not bouncing back, but simply growing incrementally from there. That that will be put us in a very different position um, from where we where we would have been if this had never happened. Obviously, are, are airlines uh, in this region better off? The, you know, there are signs that you know South Korea and in China, of course, um, infections are leveling off and places are reopening and 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 so on. Are we going to bounce back here first? I don't know. Um, um, Certainly, you know, there are reports that, that, that things in China are, are, I won't say getting back to normal, but maybe the worst is over in China. Um, but I think I mean, what's happening, the reason that people are not traveling is principally because of restrictions being put on by governments because of concerns over the spread of the virus. And I don't think governments in this region are going to be uh, quick to relax these restrictions indeed. Um, if anything, we're seeing governments putting more restrictions on. So I don't think we should be... It would be optimistic, I think, to expect a, a, a bounce back um, in this region. What, what about goods traffic? Has that been affected by this? Um, I, to a much lesser extent, um, the, um, where it has... I mean, it was airlines who are operating um, all-cargo aircraft, freighters, uh, I think seeing those freighters still pretty active. There was a, obviously with the first of all the, um, the shutdown of Chinese factories over Chinese New Year, and then the very slow ramp up again of the Chinese factories, which is a process which, of course, is still is still continuing. Um, has meant that tra- air freight has been softer, 
But nevertheless, I mean, I have a few friends who are cargo pilots for Cathay Pacific, and they say they're, they're all still pretty busy. Okay, uh, Tim Huxley from Mandarin Shipping, good morning to you, and thanks for, good morning. for, for joining us. Uh, how's business? How's the shipping industry doing? Well, you've got to look at the different sectors of shipping. Uh, they are all impacted by this. I mean, if you take, say, uh, passenger cruises, obviously that's the one that sort of uh, had a lot of prominence with the Diamond Princess. Mm. And the Asian cruise market was very much seen as the growth area for the cruise carriers. And, but that's now been decimated. And with the Trump speech yesterday and the cutback in uh, Europe from travel from Europe, remember, so many of the rest of the market, their cruises all start in Miami. They're focused on the Caribbean. So that's absolutely hold below the waterline, really, uh, the cruise industry. Uh, and there's been a proposal that uh, passengers over 70 years old be banned from going on cruises for the moment, obviously because the virus affects older people. But, I mean, I mean the sort of headline numbers are that uh, 53, over $53 billion has been wiped off the value of the big three cruise companies uh, in the last week or so from their 52-week high. Uh, so there's going to be a big suspension there. There's been about 40 calls at the Hong Kong Kai Tak cruise terminal. They've been cancelled, I believe. Uh, so that's really hit that industry very hard. Is, is, uh, is it ever going to come back? Or, you know, because it, it looks so bad when we've seen, all seen the pictures of, you know, the Diamond Princess and similar kind of um, crises in other parts of the world. Are people just going to think, I'm not going on a cruise because it's a hotbed of disease? It will take a long time to recover mm. from this. I mean, it will eventually pass. I mean, you know, we've had incidents in the past. Remember, you had, say, the Achille Lauro when that was uh, seized by terrorists. That knocked the market for six for uh, quite a long time. But this will take a long time to recover. People are definitely going to think twice about it. And I'm pretty sure you'll see ships like the Diamond Princess renamed under, under a different brand. That's going to take quite a bit of time. Now, how about cargo shipping? Well, that's... Uh, uh, it's always a game of two halves. I mean, shipping, uh, you always have, uh, you have optimistic ship owners and slightly less optimistic ship owners. Uh, I mean, the container industry got absolutely whacked in the media aftermath after Chinese New Year uh, because the Chinese manufacturing, uh, that just ground to a halt. So there was no exports out of that. Uh, that is now beginning to pick up as China gets back to work. There are, at the moment, though, there are about 402 container ships idle in North Asia with a capacity of about 2.5 million containers. That's never been that high before. But there is the beginnings of a return to work for these container ships as the factories in China get back into action. But now, with the virus spreading and the impact around the rest of the world, it's not so much the fact that the goods are going to be there, uh, and the goods are now coming back and they're being shipped, is that demand elsewhere is now going to tail off. And people are going to continue to buy essentials, and you know we've seen the stockpiling of toilet paper, etc. But you're not going to have uh, people going out on a shopping trip down Oxford Street at the moment. So demand will tail off, and that will have an impact on containers. One of the big things and, uh, that has developed over the last few days is that a lot of containers are in the wrong places. Because there was the slowdown immediately after Chinese New Year, uh, there was less exports from China. Now, now there are not enough containers over in Europe and the United States. So one of the biggest ships in the world, uh, a 23,000 container ship, is being sent over to the States. That normally is served by ships almost half the size, 
And that's because it can bring back 6,000 empty containers from America. So the equipment is in the wrong place. You were saying that the problem in the months ahead is going to be the fall-off in demand in the, in the Western world. Is that yep. going to lead to goods being stockpiled in Chinese ports and so on? Uh, it could do. Uh, it very much depends on, on how people mask these supply chains. Uh, I mean, there is... Yeah, receivers over in, in Europe, I mean, they will probably cut back on their purchasing. So there might actually be that overall slowdown in the economy and factory demand and orders may actually slow down rather than goods being stockpiled in ports. But overall, you're not as badly hit on the, uh, on the as the aviation industry, right? I mean, they sh- goods still have to be shipped and well, it, um, you're, less le- you're less likely to have virus- viruses spreading in a cargo ship than in a, in a passenger plane. Uh, absolutely. And uh, you know, there are certain areas of shipping that at the moment are enjoying... Uh, a real boom. I mean, business of moving crude oil, for instance. I mean, oil tankers, which is a really volatile, can be a really volatile sector and a real indicator of how the world economy is doing. I mean, in the immediate aftermath of Chinese New Year, when Chinese refineries cut production by about 600,000 barrels a day, that meant that the market and the demand for crude oil coming from the Middle East to China to be refined, that dropped noticeably. So the earnings on those ships dropped to about $25,000 a day, which is probably about break-even, depending on your finance costs. Now then, after a slight... Re- you, and you always have to remember that the world continues to spin despite this virus. And, of course, one of the big stories in the last week has been the crashing of the oil price <laughs> because Russia and Saudi Arabia have, had, uh, have not been able to agree on production targets. So the oil price has collapsed. So People are now buying oil uh, because they expect the price to go up further, and they're storing it on ships. So there's a huge number. Are they of ships storing it ships. on ships? So they stockpile yep. it. They stockpile it on, in a tanker. I didn't realize Absolutely, that. and then you can move it to where you need it. So the cost of chartering a super tanker uh, has gone up from about twenty-five thousand dollars a day in the immediate aftermath of Chinese New Year uh, to now it's just under two hundred thousand dollars a day, and heading north. So it's gone up ten times. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. All right. Uh, here's a, a, an email, a couple of emails uh, from listeners. Um, uh, David, sorry, uh, Jay says, "Are cargo planes still running normally? Are food supplies still running?" Uh, and uh, Tony Tyler also. Colin says, uh, "For airlines, uh, is the lower oil price a small silver lining among this awful crisis?" And Colin adds, "Well done to all the Cathay Pacific airline staff keeping the flights going during these tough times." That comes uh, from from Colin. Is is it a, a silver lining having the lower prices, or has the hedging messed everyone up, Tony Tyler? Um, well, yes, it is, of course. Um, it is, of course. And IATA estimated that $13 off the fuel price uh, means about $28, uh, $30 a barrel off the fuel price means about $28 billion of savings um, in, a, in a year for the, for the airlines. But, but, but as you say, many airlines have hedged, and so they won't be benefiting immediately from these lower prices. Could I also add something about cargo? Of course, um, a lot of cargo, you, you know, travels roughly, I think, about half of the cargo, air cargo in the world, travels in the bellies of passenger aircraft. And with the, uh, with the, the mass cancellations of passenger flights, you know, we're all seeing um, a, a lot of cargo capacity constrained in that way, and we have to, we have to, take, have to take that into account. And if I can also just put in perspective, if that 
if they're saving $28 billion of, of fuel costs, the loss in revenues have been estimated by IATA um, to be somewhere between $63 billion a year and $113 billion a year. And that estimate was made on the 5th of March before the USA announced its restrictions on passengers from, from Schengen. Um, and so I think they'll probably be coming up with another estimate. Uh, and this is in an industry which, which in a good year, um, makes a profit of less than $30 billion. So um, it, it, the fuel price, yes, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a relief, but it's not, it's, not a, it's, it's not a very significant one in the overall context of what's going on. And I think, um, Tony Tyler, you, you were saying earlier that we just need to be um, realistic about we're entering an era of consolidation. There will be fewer airlines and there'll be fewer airline routes going forward. I think we'll certainly we'll see some airlines not survive this, this crisis. And, um, and, and less, com less competition. I don't know how back. Don't worry, there'll still be plenty of competition. I mean, and, the, and look, there are some big, strong airlines in the world that will get through it. Well, but how, how, how about here in Hong Kong? We already seen uh, Cafe swallowed Hong Kong Express last year, and Hong Kong Airlines, um, the British, had been attempting to provide some sort of competition in the Hong Kong market, uh, constantly teetering on the edge of going under. Well, it's, this is, Hong Kong is a, it's a very, very you know, concentrated market. It's, 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 a, it's a point, it's a dot on the map. And so it's pretty hard for, the, for a city like this to support uh, a wide variety of different airlines any more than it is supports a wide variety of different companies in other sectors. But it, it's, um, it still gets a lot of competition. The Canada Pacific gets plenty of competition from international carriers who all want to serve Hong Kong because it has always been a very, uh, a, a very good market to serve with a, with a, with a lot of high-yield traffic, um, a, a, a population with a high propensity to travel. Um, it's geographically very well situated. So, so there's still more, there's still plenty of competition in the Hong Kong market. Uh, okay, this is a specific question for you, Mr. Tyler, from Mr. Pink, who says, Mr. Tony Tyler, do you believe that major shareholders of publicly listed airliners, airlines will take advantage of this crisis to privatise them? For, exam for example, does he foresee the possibility of Air China and Swire privatising Cathay Pacific? Uh, that comes uh, from Mr. Pink. Mr. Tyler? Some airlines are just going to ground all their flights. I mean, there were reports, rumours going around that BA was just going to shut down all its flights for two weeks. I'm not, I'm not sure that that's correct. But um, do some airlines, if things get worse, some airlines just may take that step of just grounding all planes? I'd be very surprised if large airlines, large airlines do that. I'd be surprised if any airline does that without, without having to. I mean, if, if, if you're going to ground your, ground your fleet, you're, you're, you're going to go bust. I mean, It'll be, it'll be airlines that are heading for bankruptcy that, that do that because, I mean, so much of your cost is, is fixed. I mean, the, the cost of, uh, the, the capital cost of your aircraft, um, you're having to pay your, your interest to your banks, you're having to, in the short term anyway, you're having to pay all your, your staff wages. Um, 
there's so many costs that are fixed that, that it's, it's worth you know, flying to keep anybody who does want to fly to keep them uh, to keep them in the air because uh, otherwise you have absolutely no revenue coming in um, and uh, it doesn't take you long to burn through all your cash if, if you're in that situation. Um, uh, Tim Huxley, finally, um, you know, it, it appeared from what Trump said initially or said during that speech that the goods and trade would be stopped between USA and, and, and Europe. Apparently that isn't the case. But, uh, you know, is there any talk of that uh, with all these, uh, you know, stopping traffic uh, of individuals? Is, does anybody talk about stopping uh, goods trade between countries? Nobody has raised the issue of uh, halting the trade in goods as a result of the virus. I mean, it's continuing to be a supply-demand situation. And no, we haven't uh, seen that in terms of food or equipment or any other imports or exports to the seaboard uh, being halted by it. It's really, the slowdown is down to the demand is not there. Right. I to say, I haven't heard any food shortages anywhere. Panic buying, but not, not actual any long-lasting... Um, supply problems? Well, no, there ha where there has been a bit of a problem with the supply of food uh, and perishables on shipping is that within the actual ports, there isn't enough what we call reefer plugs, which is where you plug in a refrigerated container so that that can continue to be refrigerated. Uh, there, it, because of the build-up of containers in ports, there aren't enough uh, reefer plugs. So when ships come in, they're sometimes having to be, be diverted to other ports. And that might actually, again, cause some blockage in the supply chain for perishable cargoes. OK. Well, Tim Huxley, <clears throat> thanks for joining us this morning, Chief Executive of Mandarin Shipping Limited. And Tony Tyler, former CEO of Cathay Pacific, also former CEO, CEO of IATA. And he's still on the board of uh, airlines uh, as well. Thank you both very much indeed for joining us this morning. Chandra and uh, joining us after the news at nine. Uh, drop us your questions, backchat at rthk.hk and your comments. Uh, or give us a call. And the weather, mainly cloudy with fog, a couple of rain patches this morning and at night. 20 degrees, the latest readings, with a relative humidity up at 93%. Where stringent restrictions were first imposed two weeks ago. I can tell other countries in the world that there is a way to defeat this virus. On this, Italy is available to share all the information needed. The model that is working is that of the red zones that we created in the first 10 towns in Lombardy. Two weeks since they went into lockdown, they have zero infection rates. Then we extended those rules to the whole of Italy. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Welcome back to the last back chat of the week with Danny Gittings and me, Hugh Chewerton. We're talking, we'll be talking in the first part of the programme about uh, trade and uh, transport, uh, the uh, aviation and shipping industries in, in particular. And uh, we're taking a, 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 a kind of a step back to looking at the, the global picture uh, in this part of the programme between now and 9.30. We're joined by Chandra Nair, founder of a Global Institute uh, for Tomorrow. If you've got any questions or, or comments, uh, please share them by uh, calling us on 233-88266, 233-88266. You can email backchat at rthk.hk. We'll read out your comments. Uh, or you can leave a message on our Facebook page. That's backchat and rth. HK Radio 3, please be polite. Um, Andrew F. says, uh, with the subject line, Trump, 
Yesterday's Oval Office address shows what happens when you put a carnival barking clown in charge of the free world. Just cringeworthy. This is, Donald Trump is accepted from the rule about being polite, by the way. Uh, contrast that with the UK. While I'm no fan of Boris Johnson or his party, his address was, in fairness, very well done, sober and straightforward, flanked by two public health experts whom he rightly deferred to on all the scientific questions. With Agent Orange at the helm, the United States is about to make Italy look like a success story. I look forward to Mike calling in, though, to tell me how wrong I am. That comes from uh, Andrew F. Thanks for that, Mike, or anyone else. You're, so, you're, if you're listening, Mike, you've got 25 minutes to call in and um, provide us your views. OK, okay. Uh, we're now joined by uh, Chandra Nair. Chandra Nair is uh, founder of Global Institute for Tomorrow. Uh, good morning. Thank you for joining us. Good morning. Thank you for the invitation. Uh, well, first of all, picking up on um, on what our, our listener just said, um, uh, what, 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 what do you think of how uh, Donald Trump in particular, but perhaps also Boris Johnson, has, has done? I'm really not that interested, actually, because uh, I think it falls into the trap of being distracted um, by what uh, you know leaders that we either see as uh, rather funny or incompetent. I think we have much more serious dis- issues to discuss with regard to the core issue of whether you know this is a, a global crisis fueled by globalization or whether it's a distinct globalization phenomena and what the resets etc will be so i would uh, i would not care to comment on donald trump or, or boris johnson if uh, you don't okay then well why do you say it might be a global crisis fueled by globalization well i mean there is a serious discussion going on uh, as to whether this is a globalization a crisis, uh, 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 it's a crisis triggered by globalization or was just, just a global crisis. There was, a, there was an op-ed in the FT yesterday arguing, as you would suspect with the FT, uh, trying to say that essentially this has nothing to do with globalization. This is, all to do, this is a global crisis. Uh, and the fear among essentially economists and others uh, who are essentially, you know, guardians of the ideological premise that globalization is essentially a huge net benefit, and I'm not saying globalization is not good, is that there will, there will be a reaction towards globalization, etc. And I think those are, I think it's a mixture of both. And my main point I would make is that uh, globalization is multifaceted. The problem with most commentators is that they see globalization purely from the point of view of, you know, the steroid-driven globalization we see, we've seen in the last 30 years, which is about uh, capitalism, goods and services. But globalization is much more than that. So the idea that globalization is going to be threatened, uh, I think, uh, and, and commented purely from the point of view of capitalism, goods and services, I think it's a shallow one. It's much more complex than that. And whether this uh, health scare, uh, not scare, I should say this, the, the health crisis that we have today resets the way people think, uh, I think that's, that's a really interesting discussion to be had. I would go far as to say that whilst this is a crisis and, our, and governments are reacting like they should, some with missteps, etc. But, you know, there are, there are much more serious issues that trigger all of this that we have not even focused on. Now, for instance, you know, we've had a, a, we have a global epidemic of overconsumption or obesity, but, but these things kill people slowly. We have had a, a, an epidemic, not in the sense of the medical term, of 
of essentially chemicalization of all our water systems, uh, natural systems, etc., which kill people uh, slowly but surely, but every day. And so I think all of this health concerns now uh, should create, should make us all think much more expansively. And I was speaking to someone in Hong Kong yesterday um, who really started, asked the right questions. Um, this idea that urbanization, large mega cities, is essentially inevitability and a net good needs to be questioned. I've argued for many years that in the large developed countries, uh, we should not have large concentrations of people, you know, running into 20, 30 million because it provides, it creates lots of other risks. But let me stop there and just uh, open up that conversation if you think that's uh, of interest. Well, but aren't we beginning to see that anyway in many developed... I mean, Hong Kong, we don't have space, but in um, developed countries in the uh, UK and especially the, the US with with the growth of technology and the fact that people can work from home much more effectively that um, you, you see in the UK, you see people moving out to the countryside as long as there's broadband to, to, to work from there instead, that um, you may see see this reverse effect anyway. Happen, uh, it'll be a good thing, and without disparaging the UK, it's a small country. Uh, but, but you know, I'm talking more about the developing countries uh, that are essentially, on one level, embracing globalization, seeking the net benefits, whilst I would argue ignoring the 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 heavy price being paid uh, through the the, the uh, rampant consumption-led model. Um, what would they do? And over the last 30 years, at least, or all around the world, um, the so-called experts and economic experts have argued for increased urbanization because there's productivity gains, etc., concentration of economic activity. Uh, you know, but people working from home, uh, I mean, there's a few select few who are doing it. Um, but the question is, how do we, at a macro level, plan in the large populated countries of the world? And I think that's a, a really interesting question that I hope planners will, in particularly the, the developing world, high populations, uh, rethink because they have gone down the trajectory of essentially uh, large-scale urbanization and believing that megacities are the future. I, I don't know. If you, look at, uh, if you look at China and if you look at the United States, the consumption-driven model is not only, it seems, what people choose, or, you know, you can argue about that, but, but the... But, you know, frankly, the, the political establishment relies on it. You know, the Communist Party is kind of kept in place by by a, a promise of a burgeoning and an ever-growing economy, and, and so is Donald Trump, arguably. Um, there's, there's a lot at stake, and if you, if you threatened that, um, I, you know, I don't know if you'd necessarily succeed. It wouldn't be that straightforward as all going back to the land. No, 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 I'm not at all arguing that we turn the clock back. Uh, not at all. Um, but what I'm suggesting is that how do we price consumption and what do people have a right to as the population of the world seeks to peak? And, and let's not run away from the fact that uh, much of the, um, you know, the, the scares we've had over the last 20, 25 years have been as large populations have begun to essentially globalize in the sense of how food supply chains work, the proximity of people coming together, people with different health standards and different socioeconomic structures, all integrating and mixing it up, and then with, not, with inadequate controls in place. And then there's the flip side of it, that we over-sanitize everything. And I'm thinking of writing a piece about the true cause of over-sanitization. 
uh, uh, just imagine the amount of chemicals that have been used in the last six months or six weeks as people have over-sanitized. The point is not about... Do you think when we're using, all using hand sanitizer these days um, that we're over-sanitizing, we should just take our chances with the virus instead of using hand sanitizer? No, no. I mean, I think, uh, again, I'm not an epidemiologist, but I have a bit of a science background. I think, uh, and I I would not in any way want to create an uproar by suggesting we're overreacting, but the the fatality rates uh, are something to look at, uh, and clearly we need to be supremely cautious, but some of the overuse of all of this, or I'm using the word overuse, but let's say it is what should be should, should be done at this point. But the other, uh, uh, the externalities of this sort of reaction, if it persists for a long time and becomes a new norm, are something that governments will have to to really deal with. I mean, if you if you've been on, uh, as as people in Hong Kong have stayed home for the last two weeks uh, or three weeks. Uh, but, um, you know, after a bit of cabin fever, many people have gone out of the countryside. Go to the countryside and look at the amount of trash, uh, and particularly masks, that have people, the so-called responsible people of Hong Kong, have thrown away. That is just one element of a behavioral pattern, but there's a huge amount of behaviors that are being, uh, being changed, but without any caution about how we do it. I mean, uh, coming from a engineering, chemical engineering background, you know, those of us who understand when you wash your hands with soap, uh, you essentially put nutrients into the water system. Depending on your water treatment systems, uh, some of them remove them, but uh, most countries don't have advanced treatment systems that take away the nutrients. So all of these goes into waterways. Now, if people are excessively using soap because they're all panicking, etc., I'm just saying that overload in the system is huge. That, but I'm not suggesting we shouldn't be careful. I think there needs to be a lot of education about, about the externalities of what I'm going to call the over-sanitization of our world. All right. Our telephone number, uh, please join the discussion, is uh, 233 or you can email back to rthk.hk. And we've got a caller on the line, and it's Mike. Mike, good well, morning. I heard Hi. Andrew. Andrew challenged me, but yeah. the discussion you're having right now is such a sensible discussion, probably the most sensible discussion you guys have had for a while. And I, and I, agree, I, I agree entirely with what, you're, uh, with what your guest is saying. Do you and think, I think mo- most, most of what we do is an overreaction. Do you think we're over-sanitizing ourselves? Well, I think what we're doing, I think we overreact to the entire situation. I think what happens, um, we... I, I listened to the Money Magazine before before this show, and we had we had a, we had a couple of guests on there that were giving medical advice to Donald Trump. I mean, if I came on and started giving medical advice, Hugh would remind everybody that I wasn't a medical doctor; that I was a dentist. Well, I come on anonymously, but if you really want to know, I'm a research scientist. I've got a I got a, I have a subscription to PubMed, so I, I read a lot. And what this gentleman is saying is exactly what uh, what I what I read about what we're do, um, the reactions we're making. You're talking about overreaction. Presumably, you, would you think Donald Trump overreacted? I don't care. Uh, this is 
see what Andrew thinks. He thinks that I'm going to no, defend. No, I'm, I'm asking you. Defend, defend. Am I going to sit here and defend Donald Trump? Do I think he has overreacted? I think that he did the right thing when he put a limit to travel from China. Uh, with Europe, we don't know what's going on. There's still the unknown. So and did he, did he Europe, do the right Europe, thing? Europe is not getting a handle on the problem. And so when, when for 30 days, I think that that might be prudent. It, you know, two weeks from now, he can say, well, guess what? They got a handle on it. We can, uh, we can start to open travel again. Okay, um, stay on the line. Uh, Andrew F., why don't you give us a call, 233-88266, and we can get, get you on the line at the same time as Mike, and then we don't have to have this backwards and forwards. Give us a call now. We're waiting, like we're waiting, we're waiting. Uh, yeah, I like, yeah, I like to chip in with, uh, and, take, uh, and expand the discussion a bit more as well. I think when this started, uh, most of the international media said, you know, uh, you know, uh, whether you believe it or not, and it's not clear the source is China, it's all bad, it's an authoritarian state has failed, etc. And right just now we had uh, one of your guests say um, the Italian government has responded very, very uh, firmly. But let's give credit where it's due. Uh, China responded extremely well, might have taken missteps, but we're seeing all countries taking missteps. And I think we shouldn't be in the business of criticizing leaders, whether we, you know, we like their political ideology or not. And we should be supporting whatever countries are trying to do what they're trying to do. But my main point here is... We um, support what it, sorry, uh, we support whatever country, whatever they're trying to do. It doesn't matter whether reaction is, um, if we think it's an underreaction or an overreaction, we still support no, it. No, no, what I meant by support, if it's an underreaction, let me give them good advice. But we, we you know, but I, 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 let's move on. I, what I'm trying to say is, let's not have a discussion about criticizing Donald Trump, or, 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 but we should give them good advice if we are qualified to do so. And there are a lot of people giving good advice which we don't hear about. But my main point here is uh, that the role of the state is becoming extremely clear now that in these sorts of situations, public health, security, etc., uh, the state is very, uh, very, very important. It took uh, a strong nation state like China, where this ex exploded for whatever re reason, to essentially intervene in a very tough way. The Italian government is behaving like the Chinese government. It has no choice. And at the moment, the American government will be forced and compelled to behave in that very, very tough way. And therefore, starting to essentially raise questions about what are our rights and freedoms in a very crowded world? And that's a bigger point I think I'd like to, you know, I like people to think about as well. In crowded cities, what rights and freedoms do we have? Are they unfettered or there's something bigger here in terms of what the collective responsibilities are? And that's what we're seeing throughout the world. And I think that's another reset in terms of understanding our social contract with our communities, but at a larger level, the institutions of our societies, which is short, long way of saying the government and the state. I don't think Mike's going to go along with that. Mike, are you still there? I, I know I, I'm I, right there. I, 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 here's what I would like to inject into that, art, into that discussion, and that is the media's role in the entire business. And we know that the media is going to take every... Uh, every opportunity they can to badmouth uh, uh, Donald Trump. And uh, they, you have so many Monday morning quarterbacks coming on, 
stating that, oh, well, he should have done this or he should have done that. And it's so easy to look back on Monday morning and say all right, all right. What, uh, what, what should have been done. Okay, see, Hugh doesn't like to hear this. But, you know, this is exactly No, 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 because I thought does. we'd moved on. I thought we were talking about, Chandra Nehru was talking about the role of the state. Uh, and saying this, you know, this perhaps this will suggest that there's a there is a greater role for the state, basically. Would you support well, Donald I, Trump taking the sort of measures that um, have been taken in Italy, in the US, uh, Mike? Uh, what, what, what is that? Just the, uh, the okay. localised... Localized, well, it's uh, the whole country now. Lock, uh, lockdown, people not... I mean, there's good, good, good questions about whether it be constitutional in the US, but let's set that aside. Closing all bars and restaurants. Yeah, so, and not allowing people to move between cities. Would you support well, that in the US? Here's the thing, is that uh, governments are going to try to get as much control as they can. And I'm going to fight any control that they have. Well, that's, children that's, there? Uh, it, it's, it's... Well, that's, you know, that comes educate, back... Educate the individuals. Educate the population. And give the population a choice. Do you think it's really smart to be traveling all around right now? I've, I've, I've canceled my trip to the California about three times now. Waiting for waiting for a change. So I'm taking the advice. I'm traveling as little as possible. I stay home and listen. Well, to I would. Program. I would. Uh, the, the point I was trying to make is that you know, um, in different political systems, we have different beliefs that have become entrenched. The American system, as I think the your your guest uh, uh, is American, was suggesting. That uh, and that is the tension in the U.S. that we've seen play out, and I really am not interested so much in that discussion. But the point is that unfettered freedoms seen in certain advanced democracies essentially come in uh, conflict with the world we live in today. So yes, we should be educating people, and hopefully people make decisions. But to be very politically incorrect, um, a lot of us are lemmings. Okay. Oh, we don't think about things, and that's where rules matter, and that's where the state dictates, if I can use that word. Okay. But within different political systems, the nature of that, how they dictate, of course, uh, creates other, uh, other tensions, and that's why Westerners cannot understand how the Chinese system works. Mm. Well, I don't disagree with that. All right. Okay, Thank Mike, you. Mike, thanks very much indeed for your, for your call, welcome. contribution, uh, as ever. Uh, okay, on Facebook, TC uh, writes about, about uh, Canada. He says, uh, it was reported in Canadian media today that Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and his wife Sophie are in self-isolation as Mrs. Trudeau is awaiting test results on the, on the Wuhan coronavirus. For a long time, Canada has been the most positive... In, had the most positive impression of China among Western countries. I think this is going to change after what happened to their Prime Minister's family. Uh, TC says a possible outcome uh, of the international outbreak of the Wuhan coronavirus is that there will be greater scrutiny on the Chinese government and the action of its citizens. Remember, it was because of the Chinese government's failed attempt to cover it up that led to where we are right now. Another possible outcome is that the Wuhan coronavirus exposes the corruption in some international organisations, like the WHO. The international community is now getting a better understanding of the WHO Director General's connection with the Chinese government, as well as African countries. That's from from uh, TC. 
And uh, Andrew F. has a comment that's uh, addressed to you, Mr. Nair. Uh, he says, interesting that your guest uh, just dismissed what world leaders are saying and doing to address the crisis as essentially trivial, or at least not interesting to him personally. I'm not sure I see government's response to threats such as this as some sort of comedic sideshow. It's hard to engage in the, quote, expansive thinking on globalisation that your guest clearly enjoys when you can't breathe. That comes um, from Andrew F. Chandran Can I respond? Yes, please. Well, so the first one on China bashing, I think that is all part of the the the, 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 the opportunistic sort of need to continue to bash China. So no comment on that one, apart from saying that we need to see what these what those sorts of comments really mean and uh, perhaps not give it the light of day. But you the, sound like you are commenting on it, actually. No, I, I just said I, I, I didn't comment on detail about, you know, whether this shows what China is and that, but I just said... Uh, I don't think that those require really a detailed response. But the second one, uh, where uh, it says, I am saying the actions of governments are trivial, etc. No, your question was whether uh, Trump's reaction and Boris Johnson's reactions, I should comment. I live in Asia. I don't think the world centers around London and Washington. And I think, you know, we need to have a global discussion which, which should not always go down to what London thinks, what the Prime Minister of the UK said, and what the US government said. In this instance, you were making a comparison with Donald Trump and Boris Johnson. I didn't watch either of them. I've just heard about them and suggested uh, that Boris Johnson was more sensible. Okay, but is that what we want to talk about? I, would, I was more interested in talking about what does the science tell us? I'm not a, I'm not a special epidemiologist, but let's look at the sensible reactions that needed to be taken, what the implications are going long, uh, are, are for the world long term, and particularly in the crowded parts of the world where the chances of essentially these things being embedded, et cetera, are stronger. And what does that mean in terms of changing the way societies uh, are organized, both in terms of organization and our interpretation of freedoms and rights? Uh, and in, interestingly, as this, this, this um, health crisis has dominated people's minds, it's very interesting that people have subscribed to restrictions on the way they move, what they can do, and how they even have social interactions. Now, that is something that we should really start thinking about because if that is a globalization phenomenon, which is not simply about the you know capitalism, the trading of goods and services, etc. So that's really what. Uh, I would like to stress in the few minutes I have uh, on your show. Okay, uh, so, some more uh, emails. Uh, first of all, one from S, uh, who says, Chandran Nair's analysis of globalization is spot on. Thank you very much for putting everything in perspective. Seems like we are all looking at issues in isolation. That comes uh, from S. And uh, Richard... Uh, he says Richard, but not the other Richard. We've already got another Richard, uh, unfortunately, so I'm going to have to call you Richard with a little R. Says, uh, one problem that has become very apparent recently is that the economic commentators who are on the RTHK programmes continue to live in a bubble that completely ignores the ecological collapse that is happening all around us. None of them acknowledge that this is a highly critical time for changing how we exist on this planet. All of them are talking about how, when the epidemic passes, business will return to normal. This cannot be allowed to happen without 
pretty much dooming things. Instead of asking what Trump or Johnson do or don't do, who is asking about why we continue to wreak destruction through our overconsumption-driven economies? Even today's hosts are saying, but governments rely on these models, as if that means nothing can therefore can be changed. We need they to... can be changed. Read yeah. my book. <laughs> yeah, and I, I wasn't implying that at all, Richard, with a little R. Uh, I just meant that with the, the, it's an uphill struggle. Uh, uh, anyway, uh, Richard concludes, uh, we need to break the mould that says we can only go this way and no other. We need to think differently. Your guest is quite right. Change is urgently needed. That comes uh, from, from Richard. Uh, I, I, I will say... Um, there are signs, though. I mean, I was surprised, for example, just in that comment from, from TC. He talked about the Wuhan flu, which is not something we do in, in, in Hong Kong. And it was very striking that uh, Donald Trump, you missed it, uh, Nair, but uh, he did talk about this foreign virus, which, again, was a very... Uh, you know, arresting phrase. No one else I've heard has been talking about a foreign virus. He's he, he was he's basically he's pinning it on China. Uh, Fox News is doing the same, um, or on Europe. And he said he's planning this. He's planning you know contact with Europe, uh, restricting contact with Europe because um, because it was Europeans who seeded the disease in, uh, in 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 the United States. So there's very much a kind of nationalistic you know um, uh, bent to what to, to what he's saying there. You know, the, the, the danger is that the, this is going to pull people apart, that this is actually going to, and, the, and you know, you can argue this happened in Hong Kong as well. This was turning people against other people and, and one this, country against another country. Yeah, but this, this, uh, this phenomena uh, of turning people against each other, Hong Kongers against Chinese, etc., uh, this happened, uh, has been happening for a while now. Uh, it's, a, it's a different discussion, but it, it was happening before this health crisis. But can I just say one thing in terms of global business uh, models being disrupted? There's one that's going to be disrupted uh, significantly, and it's going to be a very good thing, and that is the multi-billion dollar trade in exotic animals and, um, and some of them for consumption. So China, uh, and I, that's, I, I'm not sure if it's been publicized strongly enough, has now essentially taken uh, uh, a decision to essentially uh, ban the consumption and trading of wildlife. Mm. This is huge for the world. It's a, it's, it's a silver lining, if I can say that, in this crisis. Okay. Because it's not like Chinese entertained uh, the, the trade, but it's just such a big country. There are traditions, and, and people all over the world do eat wild animals. But if China does get a grip on banning this, then we can be sure that the multi-billion dollar trade, which originates in many parts of the world, particularly Southeast Asia, where I come from, will be decimated. And that is a bloody good thing. So the one good thing out of this is if China clamps down, then that, that illegal, illicit, uh, extremely moral trade will will be brought to its knees. Okay. And they can only be good for the world. Sure, I think a lot of people would agree with you, certainly. Um, just one more one more email we can squeeze in, and this is interesting because I think you might want to respond to this. Uh, Alan says, you currently have a caller saying, uh, I think, okay, I'm not sure whether this refers to... Um, you, Chandran, anyway, you have a caller saying how wonderful China's firm response was and how we should all laud it. The subtext is we need a strong authoritarian government to deal with this. Italy, for instance, is a democracy. They can use emergency powers to lock the country down. China wants to have such power permanently. Mike defending Trump. Trump has lied about and minimised the outbreak from day one. 
Uh, he's put the country and the world at risk for his own selfish reasons. But China tried to hide the problem and made a world pandemic inevitable when they might have confined it if they were not still hiding information. Now, the usual suspects are going around and telling us how wonderful and heroic China has been in dealing with it. That comes from Alan. Chandra Nair, you get the last word. Okay, sure. And uh, I, I'm not sure why your, your readers use foul language or things that you can't repeat. Uh, but anyway, uh, I didn't say that we need authoritarian states. I, need, I said we need strong states. I didn't say that China has not made mistakes, and I did not say China is perfect. What I said is that we need to have a discussion about the role of the state. I think everyone who's looked at the Chinese response but was agnostic to whether its political system is correct or they agree, that's, that's ideology, basically has said you needed that ability to organize on such a large scale to essentially control something in a very large country. That's what I said. I didn't say that authoritarianism is the way forward. But I think the discussion we should be having is in a very crowded planet, as resources get constrained and we over-sanitize, who makes the rules? The evidence is in very liberal democratic societies, people feel that their freedoms are unfettered. So in the United States, people feel, you know, a lot of people feel they should all be able to carry guns. Other countries, carrying a gun is illegal. That is the debate we should be having in the context now of these sorts of threats of globalization and what is the role of the state but if you don't want to use the word state, what are the rules and who enforces those rules? It's not done by Nike, Apple or Starbucks. Okay. Judge Renet, thank you very much indeed for joining us today, founder of the Global Institute uh, for tomorrow. Thank you very much indeed for that uh, thoughtful conversation. Danny, thank you very much. Uh, we'll be back on Monday, uh, leaving you now with the weather, mainly cloudy with fog, a couple of rain patches this morning and at night, sun intervals during the day, temperatures up to 25 degrees, fine and dry with slightly cooler mornings later in the week. 21 degrees now, relative humidity, 93%. To fight the virus together, we must protect ourselves and others and reduce social contact. Stay at home as far as possible. Avoid social gatherings and don't go to crowded places. Work from home if feasible. Don't shake hands with others. We should also avoid meal gatherings. Let's adopt these measures to prevent the spread of novel coronavirus in the community. For more information on fighting the virus, visit chp.gov.hk. 9.34, the news now with Samantha Butler. Stock markets have been hit by spectacular falls due to the coronavirus, recording some of their biggest ever one-day losses. In New York, the Dow closed 10% down after its worst day since the Black Monday market crash in 1987. Asian stocks are down up to 7%. The Hang Seng Index is 6.5% down, a drop of over 1,500 points. It's now around 22,720 points. A top microbiologist says it's no longer possible to eliminate the COVID-19 coronavirus and it's here for the long haul. Malik Peris, the chair in virology at the University of Hong Kong, said people needed to keep their guard up and that international travel was a risk.